0: Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of the Glasshouse, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glasshouse is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to the start of this edition of The Glasshouse. My name is Jackie B, filling in for Beth AQ while she takes a well deserved break. I would like to acknowledge that here at Triple R, I am broadcasting from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to elders past and present. On the show today, I have two interviews lined up for you. I'll be speaking to Layla Lois, a poet and dancer, about her collection of poetry titled Flesh into Blossom. A little later in the show, Leck Blaine will join me on the phone to chat about his memoir, Car Crash. Flesh into Blossom is Layla Lois's first collection of poetry, published by Girls on Key. Uh, Flesh into Blossom offers the reader Layla's exploration of self-identity, heritage and nature. Layla is a poet and dancer. Her work has appeared in Southerly Journal, Right Now, Light, Lit, One, delving into dance and salient. Thanks so much for joining me on the phone and congrats on the publication of your first collection of poetry. Thank you so much, Jackie. The Flesh into Blossom is such a beautiful collection of of poetry. I really enjoyed the imagery you invoked in your poems, like Sunday, uh, in which you describe a phone call from your dad. I grasped the cream bakelite receiver like it was a pearl-filled oyster. What motivated you to put this collection together?
1: I think I always had a vague idea in my head that at the, around the age of 30, I would be able to corroborate all of my work together into one collection um, and I read somewhere that Virginia Woolf once said, for heaven's sake, never publish anything before you're 30. So my 30th birthday coincided with the plague year that was 2020, um, when in Naam in Melbourne we were all locked in our houses for close on eight months. And I think that that really gave me um, a great time of reflection and curation of, some poetry I'd already written, Mm. but also um, allowed me to explore some of the things that was, yeah, blossoming within me at the time. So, and then I saw this call out from Girls on Key Poetry by Anna Forsyth um, to submit for publication, mm. um, and I understood that it was very competitive at the time, but I thought what have I got to lose, it's 2020, mm. and then I was very delighted um, that I was selected. So yeah, that was it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Flesh into Blossom includes over 50 poems. Can you share with our listeners your process in sort of putting this collection together? hmm
1: So first of all, the title comes from an excerpt from Audre Lorde's poem, Recreation. It's one of my favorite poems and it's a beautiful love poem at its finest. Um, And the line goes, I love you flesh into blossom. It's a hugely embodied poem. And if you know a little bit about Audre as I'm sure you do, Jackie, from your background and from your studies Mm. um, and your research. Uh, she was really a a, a real trailblazer with um, embodiment and diverse feminine identities and performativity and also um, yeah um, yeah di- diverse identities of feminism. So it really made sense to me um, to make that line the title of the collection, and then I've also always had a lifelong obsession with roses and flowers. Mm. Um, and I think that that is to do with my upbringing, um, my Middle Eastern upbringing and the rose very present and it's present in the collection. And then also this idea of growth um, through trauma and turmoil as well, which has always been a, a very, yeah, very present part of life too. Yeah.
0: To my heritage. Yeah, and that sort of leads me to my next question, which is sort of thinking about your poetry writing, how does your identity inform your writing?
1: Mm. So I think I always thought I wasn't a confessional poet and that my work wasn't autobiographical. But I realised as time goes on that anything we write is imbued with our own perception and um, our own experiences. And while some of the poems are ekphrastic, for example, they explore artworks that um, I've connected with. Mm. Some of them are embodied, but not necessarily autobiographical. Um, The material of my life and my experiences are very much interwoven in the poems. Mm. So there's a lot about my Kurdish identity, about the legacy. Trauma, um, intergenerational trauma, and also the intergenerational healing um, that comes with that territory. And there's also a lot about dance um, due to my career and interest in dance. Um, yeah, so all of these things color the poems. But I think it's more like a tincture rather than um explicitly autobiographical the one you did choose there those sundays that one is perhaps the most autobiographical of the collection interestingly enough Mm. and that is about my upbringing and about missing my father and there is mention of absent men in another poem as well towards the end um tassiography so yeah you've definitely picked up on the autobiographical themes in there Mm.
0: Um, And you mentioned a little bit earlier about some of your obsessions and your collection is divided into three sections, water, flower and fire. Mm -hmm. Um, Why have you structured your book in this way? And can you tell us a little bit more about what these themes mean to you?
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Jackie. Um, Kurdish culture is a very elemental, natural culture that. Is responsive to the spirit of place and of the land. So, very much like other Indigenous cultures of the world, these elemental themes just make so much sense um, to my identity. Mm. So, the first section is indeed um, in Kurdish. who wants pills has to dive into the ocean, and the Kurdish translation is there from my dad as well. And then the second section is, one flower does not signify spring. And then the third section is, we came from fire and into fire, we will will return. Um, And these two things are very important in the mythology and law of Kurdish culture, So we have a beautiful slur flower that grows on the mountains. It's like an upside-down tulip Mm. that signifies the Kurdish revolution and um, by which I mean the Kurdish struggle for um, uh, Mm. self-determination. And also, yeah, out of traumatic events that things will still grow. And then the ocean I have a theme in my life where I've, travelled across so many oceans, Um, I've been very inter-oceanic, so I was raised in Aotearoa and the UK, um, and then the last three years I've lived in Australia, Mm. and um, that was a big thing for me. And then the final one, fire, um, we light fires uh, as part of noru, and it's renewal rather for the spring rather than the destructive connotations of fire, it's about um, growth from the ashes, so those three things were very important to me. And then, of course, on my Welsh ancestral side as well, um, there's Ludwig, who is the flower face legend. Um, there's the ocean in my poems about Wales and growing up in Wales with my grandma. And then fire is just something that's so elemental in so many cultures. So that's really the thinking behind it. That's mm-hmm. the Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, And we spoke a little bit off-air about the possibility of you um, reading some of your poetry on air.
1: Yeah, sure, if you'd like me to.
0: Yeah, that'd be great.
1: (laughs) Okay. So I thought I might read the last poem of the collection um, because I think it encapsulates a lot of the feel and the sense of the book as an entire piece. Mm. So it's called Black, Gold of the Sun. I am slicing sunlight through the dark. Who made this night a forge deep in the earth mud? Rumi. Strong does not always appear so. Even gold alloys with the dark tarnishes in time, like myrrh resin leaking from scorched bark. From fire I came, daughter of the sun, to fire I will return, garlanded with cinnamon, cedar, cardamom.
0: So wow. That's the final poem on the collection. Yeah, I'm clicking my fingers in the studio. I'm not too sure if the mic's picking it up, <laughs> but um, I'm Definitely. sure some listeners who were at the um, the poetry launch earlier this April um, would have really enjoyed and benefited from your reading your poems. And Flesh into Blossom was launched at Big Bang Studios in Northcote at the beginning of April. Um, after the year we've had of sort of zoom events and zoom launches, uh, what was it like to launch your first book of poetry in real life sort of in a physical setting
1: oh, i can't tell you it was such a special moment, and um, a lot of my dearest people could not come um, my mum was Still locked out in Arsenal, and my dad and my brother are still in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but in spite of all that, the fact that I was able to film it as well, I had a lovely friend, David, who did biography Um, It was just such a special experience to share with the people who were there and the intimacy and beauty of live performance is just such a real thing as I know I'm sure you'd appreciate Mm -hmm. too. We also managed to raise some money for Jiri, the Aboriginal Women's Culturally um, Appropriate Charity, which I think really restored hope in me after the year we'd had as well. just reminded me the power of live events actually um, yeah help the community at a larger scale as well people were very generous Um, so for so many reasons it was important for me that I was able to do a live performance and incorporate dance in there as well Mm. because um, yeah it's a huge part of my identity being a dancer too Such a special experience, thank you.
0: Yeah. Um, Could you talk us through a little bit more of the dance elements of your launch and how did you um, combine poetry and dance?
1: Yes, sure. Um, I think dance and poetry to me has always been um, a combination that I've explored and one that felt very natural. Um, I have several very important, inspiring artists in my repertoire that I just love to read and watch. Um, Rita Dove, Maya Angelou, Emily Skilling, Corey Honan. There are so many dancer poets out there when you actually start looking. And, of course, Balanchine said that um, dancers are the poets of gesture. So my upbringing in ballet and my training in ballet with all of its mimics and um, metaphorical potentialities Really was a, a great way to explore my imagination, which I think is what poetry is in the end it's sentiment, emotion, and imagination mm. encapsulated in a few words or in, um, yeah, in form, in a type form. So it just made sense to me. So what I did really was I took some songs um, from both of my. Um, heritages, so Celtic and Kurdish, and I danced to them and overlaid some poetry um, reading, so recordings of me reading the poetry and then my friend Patrick made these beautiful projections as well of dances that I had done in isolation last year when we couldn't leave the house Mm. Um, so yeah, it it just all worked together so well I think and was a good expression of where a lot of us are at after 2020, which is just seeking, seeking expression and seeking connection after a time of isolation and introspection. Mm,
0: definitely. And the launch sounds like such a great sort of event and such a great performance. Do you have any upcoming projects or events that you can tell us about?
1: I do. I have one that's been a slow burner since the end of 2019. It was originally, um, sorry, originally the first iteration of Gian Bettinina, which means um, there is no life without you. Uh, it was performed in, as part of the Melbourne Fringe and it was a diverse femme photography exhibition with live performances as well, so live dance and theatre as well. What we're doing is we're remounting it for the Walker Street Gallery in Dandenong. So it's a collaboration between me and Patrick Rose have made these beautiful projections that are interwoven with cultural imagery from Kurdish and Celtic culture live dance and also music from um, various cultures around the world. Um, but all of it is very focused on the fem connection with nature, and yeah, I think it's it's a hard one to describe because it is so interdisciplinary. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's the biggest one that's so up and coming
0: next month. Yeah, that sounds great, and definitely one to pencil in the diary. Um, we are yeah, almost out of time, but um, where can listeners buy Flesh into Blossom, and how can they keep up to date with your poetry?
1: Well, um, if they go, if people go onto Girls on Key website, www on key press. Let me just check if there's press on the end of that. No, just girls on key There mm. is a Poetry portal Bookshop where you can order the book and get it delivered to you. Otherwise, it's coming soon to a few bookstores in Nam in Melbourne. Mm. I'm starting to get consignments out uh, in the bookstores, or they can contact me at Layla Lois Dancers on Instagram so it's my name Layla Lois Dancers underscore on Instagram if they would like a personal signed copy
0: yeah that's great thank you so much for for that offer um and thank you for joining me on the phone today Layla and congrats on the publication of your first collection of poetry and I look forward to reading more of your work
1: It's such a pleasure, and I also enjoyed reading your work, Jackie, um, about the women's movement in Melbourne. So, thank you so much.
0: Yeah, thank you. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. At 17, Leck Blaine walked away unharmed from a car crash that killed three of his friends and left two in comas. On a May night in 2009, seven boys in Toowoomba, Queensland, piled into a car. They never arrived at their destination. The driver made a routine error, leading to a head-on collision. These are the first three sentences from the blurb of Leck Blaine's first book, Car Crash, A Memoir. In Car Crash, Lek explores themes of identity, masculinity, family, friendship, class, sport, mental health, grief and trauma. Lek Blaine is a writer based in Sydney. His work has appeared in the Best Australian Essays, Miangin, The Guardian and The Monthly. He is an inaugural Inaugural Griffith Review Queensland Writing Fellow and won the 2017 Queensland Premier's Young Publishers Award, uh, Young Publishers and Writers Award as well as the 2019 Brisbane Lord Mayor's Emerging Artist Fellowship. Thank you so much for joining me on the phone, Lek. No worries at all. Um, I just wanted to give a quick content warning to listeners that we may be touching on some intense topics. Uh, and if you need to speak to someone, Lifeline is there on 1311. One Four uh, so car crash is an incredible memoir I couldn't put it down, and there were so many times when I was reading it, and my heart was just in my throat. I also found your observations of a big country town about class and about mental health trauma and grief very relatable. Uh, what motivated you to write car crash
2: yeah, it's a convoluted process, and uh, yeah, there was no light bulb moment i'd always been interested in in literature i'd always been interested in reading and writing and and so this event happened to me but I'd, I'd um you know i'd i'd been reading literature before that i'd been writing before that and then yeah i i went through that and it wasn't certainly wasn't something that i thought that i'd write about um in the immediate aftermath like uh that was yeah, I spent a long time trying to airbrush those that trauma and that grief from my existence and so yeah, I was I definitely wasn't keen to revisit that, especially as honestly as what I ended up doing mm-hmm. in the memoir. But yeah, I, I I guess I'd been trying to write fiction uh in my early twenties and, and I just reached a point where uh I just didn't I didn't think that I was going to I didn't think I was going for the jugular. I was, yeah, trying to. I was writing about my life, but I was cutting out the experiences which produced all of the those really heightened emotions. And so, yeah, I, I just wanted to go straight, cut straight to the chase of this event, mm. which so much of my life has revolved around since.
0: Mm. And I'm really interested in the role that memory plays in memoir writing. And in the acknowledgement section, you write that Car Crash is a work of creative nonfiction, not journalism reportage or a personal diary, scenes have been recreated based on your memories which are fallible and were even before you suffered from a major trauma. I was wondering if you could flesh out for us the role that memory played in your writing and what do you think are the advantages or perhaps disadvantages of writing in memory? Yeah,
2: I I wanted to be, like, completely honest about that because, yeah, I I think that all memoirs... um, are unreliable, like mm. I, yeah, it's, we talk about unreliable narrators, but like uh, I, I learned very, um, you know, through that event and in terms of the eyewitness reports, um, and that how fallible memory is. Like mm. the, there was there were things that eyewitnesses saw which couldn't have possibly happened, and that they weren't doing that from a place of uh, maliciousness. It was just that they, yeah, like there was. Eyewitnesses who saw, who claimed that passengers um, said things to them. At which point that those passengers were, you know, um, essentially brain dead and weren't capable of communicating with anyone. Mm. Uh, so there, I, I yeah, I i had, I I was exposed to the fallibility of of memory, and and I wasn't. For me, writing this memoir wasn't to be like a perfect recollection of my. My experiences, because I don't think that's possible. Um, it's yeah, my my memories are my memories, but they're, um, they're I, I admit their fallibility, uh, and and the yeah the 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 impulse was to to capture the complexity of my experiences and, and my emotions. It wasn't to provide sort of a, a pristine record of. Of what happened because I don't think that's even possible if I was trying. Mm. Uh, but I think that the yeah the the ambition was definitely to to with precision capture that uh, the, the, the messiness and I didn't want to like I write in the both in the acknowledgements but or throughout the book talking about yeah the way that my own memories interacted with the media spectacle and mm. the, the way that my memories were were like in a way renovated by the media spectacle and by um, third. Third-party accounts of what had happened, and so yeah, it's incredibly malleable. Um, like my memories are incredibly malleable, and, and yeah, I wanted to just dive deep into that. I, but I also wanted to be able to like write the memoir if I had if I had to set myself impossible expectations about. About how perfect they were. Well, then I just would have never wrote the thing. So yeah, I I I have um, I, used the baseline of those events of the things that I could remember, and I, and I tried to to yeah flesh them out with um, with language and, and mm. with other other people that I spoke to about their experiences, and, and arrive at this point. The memoir ended up being.
0: Mm. Um, you mentioned then about speaking to other people about their experiences and. Um, something that I found quite relatable in your memoir is the way that you write about Facebook and your experiences of Facebook and grief and the way that social media was a site where grief was performed Um, I'm two years younger than you so Facebook also played a role in sort of my coming of age experiences and the way that I socialize with my peers Um, so did you use Facebook and your Facebook page as a source to help you write car crash and was there any other sources that you drew on?
2: Yeah, I, I, like social media, obviously created a lot of discomfort through the the grieving process and in how public all of that was. Um, it also provided, and I certainly didn't see that at the time, but it also provided an incredible opportunity for recording um, those events. And yeah, like changing the the nature of my memories. Like I, um, I we remember things we remember things differently. Uh, in the social media age because we have such a, like, it's not a completely accurate record because obviously we, we airbrush certain things from our social media profiles. Mm. But um, it was incredibly useful to be able to go back through uh, and, and yeah, be able to see where I was at certain times and the communication that I had with certain people. And that was like, um, yeah, some people are really uncomfortable or ashamed of their... Social media uh, footprints, especially as teenagers, but uh, I mean, as a writer, I see it as being like invaluable, mm. uh, and I wish that I had even. I wish that that, that record actually went further back. Uh, I'd love to have I'd love to have a record of my um, interactions with different people, uh, you know, that I've lost, uh, both family and friends, and yeah, I wish that that was um, even deeper. Not from some sort of like voyeuristic point of view, but just to um, uh, be able to record those
0: interactions. Yeah. Um, just sort of thinking about the themes now, um, and the theme of masculinity and what it means not just to be a man, but to be an Australian man, which also includes other factors like, uh, sexuality in class was quite central in your memoir. Um, was masculinity always something that you wanted to explore in car crash or was it something that sort of came up as you were writing?
2: Uh, yeah it was just it was unavoidable like it I didn't set out to be a document document of masculinity, but I mean that's what it ended up being. Um, there's just yeah uh, it's a book about seven guys who are in the car. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot of uncomfortable parts of that about who we were and why we were there and and, um, and yeah through recreating my own experience, seeing how complex. Um, my my own history was, um, yeah, that was. Uh, it, it wasn't planned to be. I mean, it's obviously this point in Australian history where we're having a lot of these conversations now about masculinity. Um, yeah, I started writing it in 2016. We weren't quite at at that point yet. Um, mm. But um, yeah, I'm I'm certainly glad that that's like opened up some conversations because yeah, it's not something that we're always great at, at doing is. Um, you know, it, I, I I don't want to hold me as a 17-year-old by uh, by standards, like the standards of 2021, and I, I'm not too harsh on myself because I'm a product of my culture, but mm. I also want to, like, grapple with who I was and why I was that way. And yes, yeah, certainly the biggest thing I think feeding into that was probably the... the the need to be a man and to prove myself and prove my masculinity and and that that both led to who I was as a 17-year-old and and it sort of affected the way that I was able to deal with grief and trauma in the aftermath of the car crash and and not deal with it particularly well.
0: Mm. Uh, Tim Winton, who is renowned for writing about masculinity and Australian identity, has given you a glowing endorsement which has been printed on the front cover of your memoir. In writing about masculinity, was there anyone that you sort of turned to for inspiration?
1: Oh,
2: yeah, just all the... Like, all my favourite writers. Like, I love a lot of Australian writers. I love Tim Winton, love Helen Garner, Christos Tarkovs. Like, um, yeah, they're all... Like, it's not... um, Obviously, Winton's, yeah, very... Well renowned for his depictions of men, uh, and and yeah, uh, he was he was invaluable. Not so much from the point of view of like writing about men specifically, but just his like economy of prose was like probably the biggest um, the biggest sort of influence. But then, just in terms of like like still within the literary space, but people like David Mars, like incredible writing about. Um, the sort of fraud of the the and the and the that um, the signers that Australian men have created for themselves in public life and in politics and so yeah he was another another person who was uh, that I kept going back to and and yeah I, like yeah as I said it, it, it wasn't so much that I was consciously looking for, for guidance about how to write about men I was just looking to, for guidance about how to write about the human condition and inevitably mm. that was going to to cross over with um my masculinity and with the masculinity of the other people in the book
0: it's mm. really interesting almost out of time I've got so many more questions that I wish I could ask you <laughs> but were there sort of any sort of final thoughts or comments that you'd like to leave our listeners with today
2: not really, yeah. I just um I just as I said, I, I think that um I, I think that it's a book that on the surface can probably seem um overwhelmingly sad or particularly focused on yeah, on on say masculinity, but yeah, I think that's beyond that beyond the sort of title event, I think that it's um a book that I hope that that anyone can, can sort of connect with, and, and it's really about friendship and family, and and uh, and the human relationships, both uh, the ways that they sort of shape our tragedies, but also the way that they allow us to heal from those tragedies as well. Mm.
0: Um, and I've heard that you have a quarterly essay coming out a little bit later this year, and that you're also working on another book. Are you allowed to give us any further information about these upcoming projects?
2: yeah so i well, yeah I'm doing a quarterly essay about um about masculinity and class, so it'll sort of be like a the themes of the book but applied to australian politics um and australian history and, and yeah so that's going to be um, that's going to be really fertile fertile ground at the at where we're, where australia is at right now and where our political system is at right now and, and um, And looking at all the personas that politicians create to connect with with working class people and to connect with male voters both on the conservative side and and on the progressive side uh, mm. so that'll, that'll be yeah uh, uh, that's going to come out in september and then yeah I'm, I'm writing um, which i've started the research for i 've done a bit of writing of, but i haven't really yeah really haven't really started yet, which is my second book, which will be about um the foster care system and and the uh, background of my um, foster siblings and their biological parents
0: mm. Um, how can listeners keep up to date with your writing?
2: Uh, I've got, yeah, like um, like most people nowadays, I guess, I, I'm, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter. So, yeah, my name is uh, Lech, which is uh, a bit hard to spell, a bit hard to pronounce, but it's L-E-C-H, uh, and my surname Blaine, B-L-A-I-N-E. So, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I've got a Facebook page as well, so um, all of the... Uh, all of the 21st century ways of staying in, in touch with anything so yeah I'd, um, I'd love to stay in touch with, with listeners and, and hear their thoughts about either the book or any of my other writing.
0: Yeah that's great. Um, thank you for coming on the show today and speaking with me about your memoir Car Crash. I think it's a really valuable contribution to the landscape of Australian memoirs and thank you so much for sharing your story.
2: Yeah thank you so much for making time for me.
0: This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glasshouse, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website.